into it, and uh, we're going to begin to unpack that as we go. Uh, but I just want to just kind of, as a, as a prelude, if you will, kind of write this down on your notes. The tech team isn't ready for this, but it is just kind of stirring in my spirit. At the beginning of the year this year, I challenged all of us, including myself, I was at the top of that list, that all of our needs, all of our hopes, all of our desires, everything that we're hoping for, let's take all of those things and not put them on the shelf, but to put them under the umbrella of passionately pursuing God and then watch everything else fall into place. Passionately pursue God and then watch everything else fall into place. I don't know if you've done that or not. I don't know if you've uh, increased your, uh, your passion, your intensity towards the Lord. I just want to tell you, uh, I have. Uh, at the turn of the year, I got more aggressive than I ever have in my entire life. I pray not more than I have ever prayed in my life. Um, I feel dialed in, if you will. I know that's some strange vernacular for, for a lot of us, but I feel like I'm walking with the Lord all the time. Uh, I wake up in the morning and um, I, I can't remember the words to all the words to one worship song out there. Okay, not one, not one. Even like, uh, you know, when I hum a, a worship song, I just do the chorus over and over again. Um, but I, I've, I, I got, I'm humming it in my spirit before I brush my teeth in the morning. Um, before I even get out of bed, I, I'm kind of thinking, God, I'm thinking about him before my eyes even open. And, and I, I'm not sharing this because I want you to think well of me. I'm sharing this because I can tell you that the last 10 months has, has been a phenomenal 10 months for me. Um, because of that right there, to passionately pursue God and then just watch everything else fall into place. Not only have I seen other things fall into place, but blessings that I didn't anticipate have come on the scene. Uh, I, I didn't pray for that. I didn't even know that that was an option to pray for. I shared this with you guys a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, about Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts had a university named after him. Uh, he had a hospital. He, he used to heal people by the, by the hundreds, if not the thousands. Uh, he, he did so many things. And, and I back up and I think about the hospital and I think about the university. One of the very first universities that, um, that was Christian and accredited. Um, and then further than that, if you play sports at ORU, that is a Division I university that, that you could see them on ESPN. And, and you back up and you go, what was it about Oral Roberts University? Was, was he really that much smarter than all of his contemporaries? Uh, did he really have more business moxie than everybody else? Uh, was he really that much smarter? And I would argue, no. I don't think he was th that much smarter. What, what I believe is that that statue on the university grounds of, of hands praying as a symbol of how he lived his life, that that's what's produced out of a life of prayer. Things that you didn't anticipate. Things that were too big for you to dream. Greater than you can ask, think, or imagine. And so I just want to encourage us to pursue God, to passionately pursue God and then watch everything else fall into place. If there seems to be some square pegs trying to be shoved into some round holes and it just doesn't make sense because what you're desiring is a good thing. So what's, what's the deal? 
I want to encourage you, don't, don't rub it down with baby lotion and, lo and try to just kind of cram that thing in there. Passionately pursue God and watch everything else fall into place. Earlier this year, uh, I think it was this year, it might have been last year, I preached on options on your prayer time called A time, B time, and C time. A time, B time, and C time. And, and what that was, was before you go to sleep every night, plan what time you're going to pray the next morning. And if that time doesn't work out, what time are you going to pray then? And that used to be my MO, and it worked very well for me. Um, I would plan for, let me give you an example, um, 7 a.m. And, and if something happened, like, you know, the kids were fighting and I'm not going to be able to pray because I hear them fighting. And so I got to go over there and break a fight up there. Well, my next time would be 11 and then my next time would be four. So it was A time, B time and C time. I want to encourage you to adopt that if that works for you. Now I've adopted a different, a different um, pattern. I know that I got to uh, take the kids to school every single morning. I, I, that's, just, that's just my life. I take the kids to school every single morning. So if I'm getting up early anyway, I might as well just get up an hour and a half earlier. I got to get up anyway. So every night before I go to sleep, I set my alarm for an hour and a half before the kids get up. Because I got to get up anyway. I might as well just get up a little bit earlier. I, I mean, how much more sleep am I going to get in an hour and a half? Right? How much more sleep? Somebody would argue a lot. <laughs> but uh, when I'm laying there and that alarm clock goes off, every time I'm right in the middle of a dream. And it's a good dream. You ever notice the dreams at the, right before you wake up are always better than the dreams at like 11 p.m.? Are you with me? Like you're flying and stuff. You're not? You don't fly in your dreams? Sorry. And then you got to wake up. I know I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. I'm going to get into the Word of God in just a second. But I'm trying to inspire you and let you know that, hey, you get up. When I'm laying there and, and that alarm clock goes off, I ask myself the question, do I really want to live this day without saturating it in prayer? Do I really want to get out of this bed and live this whole day without saturating it in, in prayer? I ask myself these questions before I get out of bed. I got sleep in my eyes the size of pebbles and I'm laying there and I'm thinking to myself, I know that God can change anything he wants. Do I really want to live this day without saturating it in prayer? I think to myself, there's this, that, that God can control the wind and the waves. He can control my day. He can set people in my path. He can set up blessings. He can give me witty invention. Do I really want to live this day without that? And about that time, I'm out of my bed at that point. About that time, I'm thinking, I need God in my life. And, and I just want to let you know that this is a church that loves prayer. Now, I'm going to tell you that you love prayer. You may not pray that much, but you love prayer. I'm just telling you that. You're like, well, I don't, I don't think you're talking about me. No, I'm talking about you. Otherwise, you would have picked a different church. You've picked the church that the pastor is most like you. And some of you are like, oh, man. I've been staring at you thinking you're the weirdest guy I've ever seen. I, 
you and I are nothing alike. Now, I understand that if I, sometimes I look at me and I was like, man, I wish I wasn't me. I wish I was that dude. But I understand that. But here's the thing, that you picked this house because this house is cut from the same cloth you are. I'm going to tell you exactly what kind of person you are. You're a person who longs to be in the presence of God. You're a person who wants to be a person who is able to spend hours upon hours in His presence worshiping. You're a person who desires to be able to open up the Bible and it just make perfect sense instead of looking like a bunch of black and red ants crawling on a page. How do I know that that's you? How do I know that that's you? You, you may not be that person now. Some of you may be. How do I know that that's you? Because that's me. That's me. There's 51 churches in the woodlands. You go from church to church looking for, yeah, that's me. That's me. You love worship. How do I know? Because this house loves worship. There's other churches that it's just like three or four kumbaya songs. Okay, now it's time for the preacher. That's not here. Otherwise, you want to pick this place. So you're a person who loves God. You're a person who's passionate about worship. You're a person that wants to try to figure out how to get closer to Him. That's who you are. And I want to encourage you. Walk in that. Move in that. Cultivate that. Get your lazy tail out of bed and worship God. That's not something a preacher says very much, but you won't find that in the Bible. But I say that to myself, Frankie, get out of bed. Here's something about discipline I read in The Road Less Traveled. If you haven't read that book, read that book. It's a great book. It's, uh, I think the author is Scott Peck. He says this, every single problem in life can be solved by discipline. If you have a lot of discipline, you solve a lot of problems. If you have a little bit of discipline, you solve some problems. If you have no discipline, you don't solve any problems. Everything revolves around discipline. And, and here's something else I learned. That once you become disciplined in a new action, it becomes easier to build discipline in another action. That's not something that I've made up. That's something that I've studied. Evidently, when you start a new habit... Um, th there's, there's certain places of your brain that has never been used before that begins to receive signals. And it actually, the, the terms that I was reading, it's like highways in your brain. It begins to start f receiving signals. And once you've burnt that, burnt that, it's, it's, it, once you have made that new line, that new road that's never been there before, it becomes easier for you to establish new disciplines. That's why a person that has discipline usually has discipline in several areas. A person that has no discipline usually doesn't have any discipline in a lot of areas. A lack of discipline reproduces lack of discipline. Discipline reproduces discipline. Do you know what's even crazier than that? Man, i got to start preaching here in a minute. But you know what's even crazier than that is they studied children that end up being successful. And it come to find out that successful children, by and large, don't come from successful families. They come from disciplined families. That's why you meet, and it doesn't matter what kind of form of discipline it is. That's why oftentimes you'll see somebody running for president and they'll say, yeah, my father, he worked at the steel mill. 
making $14 an hour. My father, he, he picked cotton. My father, he, 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 he was, uh, you know, da, 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 da. And he picked all these blue collar jobs. And now here they are. They went to Harvard or Princeton and they're running for president. And you think, how in the world does that happen? Because I recently read this study about discipline that when a child sees his father or his mother doing something that requires discipline his entire or her entire life, they, 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 they receive that gift. They receive that attitude. So they grow up in their discipline as well. The students, the kids that are in homes that lack discipline, that there doesn't seem to be discipline modeled by the parents, those are the same kids that have a very tough time being successful in anything because they model what they, they, they reproduce what has been taught. And that's why we say all the time, you teach what you know and you reproduce who you are. So I look at my son all the time and I'm saying, you're going to be smart and you're going to go to Texas A&M. Well, here's the thing. I can say that till I'm blue in the face. But what it requires for him to be to go to Texas A&M is it requires him to live a disciplined life. Now, is he going to study discipline? Is he going to be disciplined like I'm disciplined in the world of studying? Well, he never sees me study. He never sees me study for anything. I was done with school before he was born. And when I study for Sunday, he doesn't see that. But what he does see is me getting up in the morning and going to pray. What he does see is me running. What he does see is me and his mother has been, has been together for 14 years. What he does see is the yard gets mowed every single Monday morning. He sees discipline. And so that will be modeled in his life. Does that make sense? It really had nothing to do with... Actually, it does. Actually, it does. It's called Family Culture. Family Culture is actually the title of my message. And here I am thinking I was going on a, on a, a rampage. But it, the title of the message is Family Culture. The family culture within your own family. Family culture within the family of God. There is a certain culture that is expected. Now in this particular chapter of Timothy chapter 3... Paul mentors Timothy and he says, look, there's a certain type of behavior, a certain type of culture that is expected for all leaders, leaders in the church in particular, leaders in the household, leaders in the business. Now, this isn't all leaders. These are for leaders that want to follow God and follow Christ. There's a certain um, uh, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A checklist, if you will, that if you want to be a godly leader, this is what he looks like. Now, Initially, when we read something like this, we may say to ourselves, man, I don't know that all of that is necessary. Maybe I can be effective in the kingdom. Maybe I can be effective in my family. I can be a strong leader without necessarily checking all of these boxes. You could make that argument, and I would push back with this thought right here. Some of these boxes is the difference between a holy and an unholy lifestyle. And, and if you're going to write something down, write this down. Sin puts a barrier between God and us. And so people can back up and say, well, I can still go to heaven if I keep this in my culture. I can still go to heaven if I keep this as a part of my behavior, behavioral pattern. I, I can still go to heaven. Yes, you may still go to heaven. 
Because you're not saved through works. That said, don't get mad when you don't see the blessings of God in your life. That said, don't back up and say that the church is a bunch of, uh, of emotional, loco people. No, 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 no. There is an a invitation of holiness to be separate from everyone else that are not Christians, to be a little bit different. There's blessings attached there. Further than that, there's a level of intimacy available during prayer for the people that are striving for holiness. You know what I pray sometimes whenever I'm praying at my house, or uh, I usually pray either in my office at the house or in the guest bedroom, um, or wherever there's not toys all over the floor. Um, and I'll say, Holy Spirit, will you help me pray? I want you to help me pray. I want you to help me focus. I want you to help me pray for what you want me to pray about. I want you to help me pray. And, and why am I asking for help? Because I know me. In five minutes, I'm going to be looking for something else to do, like go back to bed. There's, there's things that I want help with, because why? If I'm going to pray, I want to experience the presence of God while I'm praying. I want to feel like when I close my eyes, he's really here. But if my life outside of the prayer room is full of sin and full of unholiness, I can't expect to experience the presence of God if I'm not willing to be holy, separate, when I'm not praying. It's a really great feeling knowing that you're pursuing holiness during the day, and then all of a sudden you go to pray and you've got this clear conscience. And so here we go. Let's begin to unpack this. First um, Timothy chapter three, um, verse one. Um, Paul says this. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, depends on what version of the Bible you're reading. It may say leader. It may say deacon. Um, but irregardless, he's talking about leadership. He desires an honorable position. If you desire to lead your house, your home, your life in, in the direction of holiness, you're desiring an honorable thing. So an elder, a leader, must be a man, a woman who's, and here we go, here comes the checklist. Life is above reproach. Life is above reproach. You know what's interesting? Uh, this isn't a, a, a recently heard that um, the superintendent of Conroe Independent School District has a clause in his contract. Now, he's a good friend of mine, uh, and I should ask him this the next time I'm with him, but uh, rumor has it that he's got a clause in his contract that he's not allowed to drink wine in public. Isn't that interesting? He's not allowed to drink wine in public. Now, now there's a, more than half, I would venture to say way more than half, of this city has no problem ordering a glass of wine. And most people would not look at him and say, oh, Dr. Don Stockton's drinking wine at the dinner table. I saw him at Fleming's. He ordered a steak, onion rings, and a glass of wine. Most people would not say that. But... Someone might. 
in CISD, Conroe Independent School District, saying, well, hold on a minute. We want you to be above reproach. Now, if a Conroe Independent School, and I'm not talking about wine. If you enjoy wine when you're dinner, with your dinner, that's, that's, that's awesome. It, I, 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 it, in the Bible, it doesn't say anything about drinking. It says drinking too much and being drunk is definitely, without question, an issue. But having a glass of wine with your dinner or, or an alcoholic beverage with your dinner or with your meal, there's no sin against that. But what, what the Bible is saying here is live your life above reproach. Can you live your life above reproach and still have a glass of wine for dinner? Absolutely. This conversation is not about wine. It's, talk, it's, it's about attitude. It's about attitude. It's, it's I don't want to do, say, act, or anything to give somebody license to want to think less of me. I'll give you an example. Um, my wife uh, has been raised in a house where her father made wine. He made wine in his house ever since she was three years old. And so she's, even to this day, she'll have a glass of wine before she goes to sleep at night. Now me, if I have a glass of wine, I feel bloated and I get a headache. So I can live without it. Um, but when we go to a restaurant, she'll ask me, is it okay if I have a glass of wine here? And I'll think about it. And I'll go, you know what? We're right smack in the middle of the woodlands. We pastor here. Why don't you pass? Now, if we're in, in God's country, like Tomball, uh, if <laughs> Magnolia, you know, uh, it, it, <laughs> and she says, hey, can I have a glass of wine tonight? Hey, go ahead and knock yourself out. You know, there are people who live in Tomball that, that come to Celebration Church, but there's just less. There's less. You know, our church is in the woodlands. And you say, well, are you trying to be two-faced? No, I'm just saying, hey, let, when we're in our city, let's raise the bar a little bit higher. Now, it's not a matter of sin or not sin. It's a matter of living above reproach. And I think we have got to have that attitude. Can somebody say amen to that? He must be faithful to his wife. I want to talk about that just for a moment because on the surface it could, it could sound don't cheat on your wife and don't cheat on your husband. Um, but remember this, that when Jesus came, he actually raised the bar. He said, hey, look, um, in, in the Old Testament, it was don't commit adultery. In the New Testament, if you even think about it, you did it. <laughs> right? Now, it, I would say that to say to make the same covenant with your eyes that Job did. Job 31.1. I will make a covenant with my eyes not to look at any young woman. I will make a covenant with my eyes not to look at any young woman. Um, you know, it is an understood thing that when, uh, when a guy or a girl is, you know, gaga over some guy or girl on the other side of the room, the respect level drops. Why? It should drop. Because at that point, you should ask yourself the question, hey, first of all, are you married? You should keep yourself, keep your eyes, keep your heart pure, keep it all pure. And this is what he's saying. It, look, this is the bar. Keep it up high. 
Here's the next thing he says. He must exercise. She must exercise self-control. Live wisely and have a good reputation. You know, self-control is an interesting thing because so many people, we can look at a person, I think it was um, uh, my sister, she's like 12 years old, and you know, every once in a while, a 12-year-old will say something that will make you go, hmm. Um, and, and she said, hey, I don't want anyone judging me because their sin is different than mine. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that, that was, don't judge me because your sin is different than mine. And, and self-control um, is one of those things where we, we, we let these self-control issues get a pass, whereas these self-control issues don't get a pass. Where in actuality, um, one doesn't have a temptation in this area, and this person has a temptation in that area. Well, it's like, hold on a minute. Period. Our bodies can't tell us what to do. Like right now, I'll have a kind of a transparent moment. Um, Some of you are going to think, well, that's not very transparent. But I'm just, you know, there's degrees of transparency, okay? Um, You know, uh, I, I, I have been... For probably out of the last 30 days, I have gotten up at 2 o'clock in the morning 29 times to eat me a roll of Oreos. <laughs> okay? Now, now, what, is that a sin? Absolutely not. I don't even want to tell you guys this because I, I know about seven of you are going to nominate yourself to keep me accountable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pastor, how are those Oreos doing? Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> but the, the issue is not getting something to eat in the middle of the night. The issue is, is that I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm still doing it. That's, that's the issue. And so I've told myself, this is my last night. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> right? It, and I've gotten angry with myself. And, and I actually get angry at my wife, actually. <laughs> Have you ever eaten bad and blame it on someone else? It's like, clearly you don't love me. You don't love me, otherwise you wouldn't put this stuff in the house. But, you know, I've been getting up sick from all the stuff that I'm eating in the middle of the night. Here's the issue. I'm having a major problem because, like, I'm intimidated about this. I don't know if I can stop. And so I go to sleep at night thinking, I will not do it tonight. This, I don't, and I'm like, I, my brain is still in the bed. I'm just... I feel it pulling me. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to have one. There's cracking Oreos, I'm telling you. It's cracking that stuff. Don't it? You can't have one. How many people here have an issue with Oreos? You love Oreos. Come on. Come on. Yeah, I just saw somebody raise someone else's hand up. Like, <laughs> so, so here's the problem. The problem is not eating in the middle of the night. The, the problem is when you say, I'm not going to do it anymore, and you can't stop. What can you not stop? Is there anything that you can't stop doing? There shouldn't be anything that we can't stop doing. There shouldn't be anything. There shouldn't be anything that we can't stop doing. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, I'll go through, here's something a little bit more serious. I'll go through a season where I can catch myself being negative and I was like, hey, you know, everything that's come out of your mouth all day today has been negative. You need to stop. And then... You, you've been negative so many times that you can't stop. And now it's like, whoa. You know, there's nothing that, sh- that we should not be able to stop. 
And so that's, that's what he's saying here. Um, here we go. Um, he must enjoy having guests in his home. And he must be able to teach. Now this is a leader. Now when I read this and I was preparing for this sermon tonight, I thought to myself, ah, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, you, you already knew, didn't you, Doyle? You already knew. Because if I could put caution tape around my home, I would. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It's like I live my life for you guys. I live my life for people. And in my mind, I feel like, okay, my home is the only place where I can like, you know, my breath can stink. You know, I, is, is anyone with me on that? Like, you know, like the McMurtry's, you don't even have to call, you know, just show up, right? Just show up and start knocking. How many of you guys are like that? You don't even need to call. Just come over anytime. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. There you go. Come on, put it up. Let me see who you are. I don't even need to, just come on over. Just come on over. Are you like that, Omar? Just, just come on over, man. Just come on. You don't have to call me. Now, how many of you are like, hey, I need an email three days before? <laughs> are you with me? I need an email three days before and then text me when you're 20 minutes away. <laughs> yeah. So once again, this is not the letter of the law. This is, he's trying to make a point here. You enjoy being around people. Now, believe it or not, I'm actually an introvert. I'm an introvert, believe it or not. I, I really am. I, I get, you can figure out if you're an introvert or an extrovert with this one test right here. Do you get refilled being around people or do you get refilled when you're alone? All right, so let's see. How many people, you, you, when you're, when you, get re, you get rejuvenated when you're around people? Like, raise your hand if that's you. See, you're an extrovert. Okay, see, now raise your hand if you get rejuvenated when you're by yourself. See, that's me. When I'm by myself, it's just like the tank is going... Right? I'm, I'm supposed to um, preach at this church uh, in Louisiana coming up sometime soon. It's like a five and a half hour drive to, to get to the church. And, and so uh, my wife says, well, you know, are you going to take so-and-so or take so-and-so? And I was like, well, you know, it's, it's not for you know, a while, and, and I'm daydreaming about it. I'm like, man, that'd be awesome. Just be by myself for five hours there. <laughs> and like come back and just be by myself for another five hours listening to Spanish tapes, learning how to speak Spanish. <laughs> I went to the car wash the other day and there were some Spanish people that were working there and, and they opened up my door and I, I gave them a tip and they could, they could hear the, per, the, the CD there and they're going, habla espanol. I'm like, habla espanol. Hablo espanol. Habla entiende, entiendo. And then I'm like, catch all that. I got these CDs in my car I listen to try to learn Spanish. I got like four words and I'm on like the seventh CD. Must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. Notice he said heavy drinker. Okay? Some of you are like, you've made your point <laughs> on the drinking. Yeah, you can't be a heavy drinker or be violent. Let me just say something about violence that's interesting. Uh, violence is a very interesting thing because on the surface you just back up and go, that's pretty, that's pretty obvious. Don't be violent. violent. Violence is bad. But, you know... It, it, 
it's so, maybe I'm just talking to the guys here. I, I don't really see girls out there wanting to be violent. But with guys, we have a tendency to admire, you know, Rocky. We, we admire, um, you know, the movies where people are getting shot and killed. And, and in, our, in our mind, we think that, you know, if it was us, you know, you know those three guys that... Um, uh, help me out here. There's three guys in the airplane recently that uh, tackled a guy. It was a train. It was a train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a train. And it, 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 do you know what I'm talking about? There was this. There's terrorists on a train, and then and they tackled them, and then they killed them. And and I'm like, man, that's America for you. That's the United States. If I was on that train, I would have done the same thing. And I'm like, probably not. <laughs> Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, dear Jesus. You know, but we, we look at tough guys. <laughs> we look at these guys, and, and there's a part of us that's just like, man, that's awesome and that's cool. Um, but, but actually, you know, it, it takes more restraint. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 14 years, and I, I remember our first year of marriage, we were in this situation, and something came up, and, and uh, there was like this issue, and, and I bucked up to this guy, and, and you know, I'm, I'm like getting loud, and I'm getting ready to fight this guy, and, and we got back in the car, and I'm like, what'd you think about that, you know, and my wife is like, you're so immature. <laughs> Like, were you really going to fight that guy? You're so immature. What are we, what are we in middle school? And, and, and I'm like, well, you know, nobody's going to mess with me. And she was like, he was trying to sell you a hat. True story. <laughs> and I, I just felt stupider than I do now, actually. <laughs> I was like, well, that dude was a punk. And she was like, a punk? Really? You're going to fight? You're going to get into a fight because he's a punk. And, and I never felt stupider in my life. Violence is one of those things that it makes you feel macho. Um, but when you think about people like, you know, let's take Bill Gates, for example, or take Steve Jobs or take, you know, um, um, uh, you know, uh, Obama, uh, any any leader out there. Can you ever imagine them walking down the mall and somebody bumping them and all of a sudden they just go, bam, like you don't see Colin Powell, you know, leaders. You don't see, like, if Steve Jobs was still alive, can you ever imagine him getting into a fight in the parking lot? <laughs> you know what I mean? That sounds stupid, right? Can you imagine Joel Osteen scrapping in the parking lot? <laughs> like, people we admire don't do that. Yeah. They're, they're above that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're above that. You know, it's, it's like, come on, seriously? You're fighting? And, and I just feel like that's what, 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 what Paul is trying to say here. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and, and not love money. Um, you know, when I pray over my, my son and daughter, I, tell, I pray over them, I always say the same thing. You're going to have a lot of money in your life. You're going to have more money than what you need. You're going to have so much money that you're going to give a lot away. You're going to give a lot away. You're going to have so much money, you're going to give a lot of money away. And, and that needs to be our mentality. I'm going I'm to give a lot of money away. I'm going to give a lot of money away. I'll tell you, one of my favorite parts of the year is every January when we get our giving statement. And I get to look at how much money we gave away. I love looking to see how much money we gave away. You know, we started off when we first got married 14 years ago, giving the church 10%. 
And then we went to 11%. And we went to 12%. I think we're at like 14%. My goal is to be the biggest giver in the whole church. I want to give 15%. I'd like to reach 20%. Wouldn't that be awesome? Give 20% of your income away. And when that's a priority to you, what I find is that God ends up giving more. It's my vision. I think our church gave $190,000 away last year. It's my vision for our church to give away a million dollars. Wouldn't that be awesome? We gave away a million dollars. See, when that's your vision and that's how you think, you know, money just comes. Money just comes. When you start looking at your bank account, and you're like, I want, I want, I want to see 15 in that. I want to see $50,000. Now it's about you. Now it's about you. But when you start thinking, God, I want you to help me give. I want you to help me give. I want you to help me give. Well, in order for you to give a great tithe, you've got to have a great income. All right, so here we go. Is this helping anybody? Are you, are you glad you came tonight? Look. Um, watch this. This is very fascinating. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? You know, this has only happened one time in our church history. Our church is 10 years old. But there was a, a gentleman that was in leadership. They haven't, been a, they haven't been members in our church in years. I don't even think anybody in this room would ever even remember this family. Um, but anyway, um, uh, this was years and years ago. And this is the only time this ever happened. I, I went out to lunch with the husband. And I said, sir, you're going to have to step down. You're doing an awesome job. You are killing it. But you're going to have to step down. Is that your, your, your wife is hurting people's feelings left and right. And we've talked about this time and time again. And, and I can't have you leading when your wife is hurting people. I, I just can't have it. it. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, if, if you can't control your house, how are you going to control and lead things in the church? And, and what I've learned oftentimes is that the house determines how strong a leader really is. Because if you measure your leadership, this isn't for everybody in the room, but it's for some of you. If you measure your leadership by the people who work for you, that's not a good level of measure of leadership. Because you have leverage. You can fire them. You can give them, you can cut their pay. Well, it does, that's not a good measure of leadership. You have leverage. You don't have any leverage over your wife. Your wife can tell you to go. <laughs> That's real leadership when you can lead your household. Because now you got to think out of the box now. My wife got me the other day. <laughs> she, she came home from the, from the Y. She went working out at the Y. She came home. I said, man, baby, you're looking really good working out all the time. She goes, are you just saying that to keep me going? <laughs> or do you really think I'm looking better? Uh, I'm like, look. Like, she's on to me. She's on to me. She goes, I know your ways. I know your ways. You just say things to try to encourage me to do something. I'm like, well, you know what? I'll do dinner tonight. <laughs> In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. Now, if my wife was ripping you guys behind your back, would you come to our church? It doesn't matter how good I preach or how good Isaiah sings. Right? 
I had a friend of mine tell me one time, he said, you know, we'd have more friends if it weren't for my wife. True story. I remember exactly where we were. We were standing in Market Street. He goes, my wife runs off all our friends. We're not friends with them anymore for that reason, actually. (laughs) Yeah, well. It must not... It, wives must be respected, must not slander others. I think, I think there, there's been certain historical patterns that men have always had trouble with and women have always had trouble with. I think historically men have always had trouble with lust and women have always had trouble with slandering. Like if you just look back, if you just look back, over time. Now, this is something that I just thought of just now. And because I have no filter on my mouth, I just say whatever comes to my mind. But, <laughs> you know, I should just take a time out and just say thank you for coming back all the time. <laughs> thank you for coming back. I think to myself all the time, thank you, God, that they keep on coming back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, God, that we have a church in spite of me, in spite of me, oh man, in spite of I mean that. I mean, can I just say, I am well aware of the, some of the things that I say from the pulpit. I drive home and I just think to myself, if this car could drive itself, I would run myself over for some of the things that I've said. I just want to tell you, I am aware of the fact that I say some moronic things And I just want to say, you guys are really family to me because only family would give me grace. And so I love you. I I mean that. I love you. I really, really love you very much. I love you so much, so much. Oh, man, I really love you You guys. Give me so much grace. Let me keep on reading or maybe I should just dismiss (laughs) in the same way. uh, Okay, we're on to another one. This is our last and final one. Isaiah, why don't you come on up? Those who do well as deacons, those who do well as leaders, will be rewarded with respect from others. Now watch this. And will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. I almost didn't use this verse, but there's just something about it that's just like pulled at my heart. Let's read it the second half really slow and and, and let's see if I can dissect it a little bit. Those who do well as leaders, those who, those who take the responsibility of leading people, encouraging people, imparting into people, inviting people to church, trying to be an example outside of these four walls. Those of you that try to do that to the very best of your ability, you're going to be rewarded. People around you are going to respect you and honor you. But watch this. And will have an increased confidence in their faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Those of you who adopt people spiritually, those of you who encourage people, which is what leadership does, you encourage people, you adopt them, you invite them, you pray for them, you try to have, uh, be a good example outside of the church as well as inside of the church. What it's saying here is that your faith will grow because of that. Isn't that wild? Think about this. 
for those of us in this room, and I'm one of them, where we say, I wish my faith, I wish my confidence in God was greater. By investing into people, our confidence in God goes up. And you would think that those two things wouldn't be related. But because God backs up and says, you are investing into people around you, so now I am going to cause your faith to increase. Now, that's very, very important because as your faith increases, that causes God to move more in your life. We know that because he couldn't move in his hometown because the faith was low. So if the faith is high, then he moves more. There's more miracles. So he's saying, when you invest into other people, I'm going to lift your faith up so that I can do more miracles in your life. Isn't that amazing? It seems like it's two unrelated things. That's like eating healthy and getting a raise. Right? What does one have anything to do with the other? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start eating more fruits and vegetables and then your boss gives you a raise. What does one have anything to do with the other? The way God sees it is, if you're going to invest into people, if you're going to set yourself apart and strive for holiness and hold yourself at a high standard, I want to do miracles in your life. That's the kind of person that I want to do miracles in their life. A person who sets themselves apart, keeps the standard high, invests in the people. God says, I want to do miracles in their life. He doesn't do miracles in everybody's life, but he aims to do miracles in people's life who set themselves apart. Isn't that awesome? See, that's why I want to encourage all of us. I need to remember this for myself. When we read the Bible, let's not get caught up in quantity. Let's get caught up in dissecting the sentence. Dissecting it. 